BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Phil LeBeau, CNBC. Are car buyers finally warming up to the idea of owning an electric vehicle? Automakers think so. At this year's New York Auto Show, the industry is rolling out more plug-in models, from SUVs to luxury sports cars to electric pickup trucks. It is the start of a wave of EVs that will hit showrooms over the next three to four years. And as more models come out, especially those starting at a lower price, buyers are showing more interest. Yes, electric vehicles still make up less than 2% of the total U.S. auto sales, but that's expected to gradually change as more models come out and as Americans become more comfortable with the idea of recharging their car or truck. We may be a ways from seeing scores of plug-in models driving around, but that day is gradually moving closer. I'm Phil LeBeau, CNBC. The Home Depot has very good news for your lawn. It's called Scott's Thicker Lawn, right now from only $19.98 a bag. Thicker Lawn is a three-in-one mixture of seed, fertilizer, and soil improver, perfectly formulated for thicker lawns and happier lawn owners. So spread the word for up to a 50% thicker lawn after just one application. Today is the day for doing with Scott's Thicker Lawn from only $19.98 a bag. Now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Selection varies by store. It's the little things. Like finding 20 bucks in the wash. Woo! Jackpot! Or knowing where to shop online for all the newest styles and best deals around. Stage.com, of course. Visit Stage.com today for incredible sales, our newest markdowns on clearance, more extended sizes, and even more choices. Plus, check out today's deals online for daily coupons and offers. Fresh styles, big savings, and fun perks every day. Stage.com. Little things mean everything. Offer exclusion supply. NBC News Radio. I'm Tom Roberts. The East Coast is under the gun today for heavy rain, high winds, and possible tornadoes. Forecasters say the risk of heavy thunderstorms extends from Florida to Pennsylvania and New Jersey through tonight. At least three deaths are blamed on the storm system that swept through the deep south, spawning tornadoes and torrential rainfall. Life sentences are being given to the Southern California couple who tortured and abused 12 of their 13 children. David and Louise Turpin both pleaded guilty in February to numerous felony charges, including dependent adult abuse and child endangerment. Janet LaTourette is an attorney who read one of the victim's stories in court today. I remember our mother sitting in her recliner and crying, saying she don't know what to do. She didn't want to use rope or chain but she was afraid her children were taking in too much sugar and caffeine. The Turpins will be eligible for parole in 25 years. High-profile Democrat Joe Biden may be just days away from announcing his campaign for the White House. NBC political reporter Mike Memoli. Advisors to the former vice president confirmed to NBC News that he is, they're putting the final pieces together for an announcement of his candidacy next week. Multiple sources say Biden will enter the race via a video announcement. The House Judiciary Committee is following through with its pledge to subpoena the Justice Department for a full unredacted Mueller report. MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kirshner says it's unclear if Attorney General Bill Barr will comply, but he thinks at some point at least some top congressional leaders will get to see it. I do think one way or another the full report is going to go to Congress, maybe first to a select group with security clearances so they can see everything. Barr has agreed to appear before House and Senate Judiciary panels early next month. Today is one of the holiest days of the year for two religions. Christians are marking Good Friday and Jews are observing Passover. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. I'm finally getting my abs back thanks to TC1 Gel. I gained some inches around the belly last year and the holidays didn't help either. But then I discovered TC1 Gel and now 2019 is the year of my abs returning. TC1 Gel is a thermogenic gel that you rub on your waist 15 minutes before exercising. Then simply put on the TC1 sweat belt and start your workout. You'll sweat like crazy and feel the burn. It focuses on boosting circulation, increasing perspiration, activates body heat, reduces muscle fatigue, and burns off more calories. 
calories. Get your TC1 gel now. Go to TC1gel.com and use the code RADIO30 for a 30% discount on this amazing product. Again, RADIO30 is a code for 30% off the regular low price of TC1 gel. You can also go to www.tc followed by the numeral one gel.com. That's TC number one gel.com. TC1gel.com. Get rid of a few inches and get your abs back with TC1gel. Also, follow them on Instagram. Handle TC1gel. If you're looking for a full or part-time sales position and you have radio, TV, or print media experience, KCAA has a great opportunity waiting for you that pays the highest commissions in the market. KCAA is the only station in the IE that broadcasts on three frequencies, so advertisers receive three ads for one low rate. This makes KCAA a must-buy for every local business. If you're interested in a sales position with us, email CEO at KCAARadio.com. It's time to make the Tri-City Center in Redlands a regular part of your weekly shopping experience. Tri-City is home to a wide assortment of quality businesses, including the all-new Ocean Aquatics. Check out their variety of exotic tropical fish along with fish food, accessories, and tanks of all shapes and sizes. The Tri-City Center is located just off of Alabama and the Tennessee exits in Redlands. Visit the Tri-City Center today and find out why it's called the Mall with a Heart. California Headline News, sentencing for David and Louise Turpin, the Riverside County couple accused of imprisoning and torturing their 13 children. I'm sorry for everything I've done to hurt my children. I love my children so much. I'm blessed to be the mother of each one of them. David Turpin also reading a statement claiming his intentions were good. Two of their children reading emotional statements as well before a judge sentenced them to 25 years to life. Congressman Devin Nunez not impressed with the content of the Mueller report. What I call the Mueller dossier. Uh, because for the most part, as we predicted, it's not worth anything. You would have gotten more from reading the House Republican report from 13 months ago. Nunez making it clear he plans to continue his campaign against officials within the Justice Department and the FBI, who he claims committed criminal acts within the context of the Russia investigation. Music lovers back in Indio for weekend two of the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. Jeff Scott, California News. Hi, and welcome to the Capital Raising Club. I'm your host, Rose Vitale, co-founder of the Capital Raising Club. I'm here to help make sense out of business, investments, and capital raising. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor, this show bridges the gap between investors and business owners with interviews from business leaders who have experience on both sides. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, at Capital Raising Club. You can watch our previous episodes and sign up for our newsletter at our website at CapitalRaisingClub.com. And now here's the host of the Capital Raising Club, Rose Vitale. And the recording has started. Well, greetings, uh, guests, and thanks for tuning in on Capital Raising Club radio show. It is brought to you by Rose Vitale, who is the co-host and the founder of Capital Raising Club. And I am John Tabor. I'm the co-host of the program. Rose is in Hawaii, relaxing on the beach. So I am going to be doing the show by myself today, along with my guest, Doug Ruak. And uh, next week, uh, Rose and I switch it off. I'll be on my way to Miami and the Caribbean, and Rose will be here. And then the following week, we will both be back on the air together. Now, the Capital Raising Club is leaders in creating strategic st- partnerships and uh, relationships between investors and those who are in need of capital for a variety of projects. This could be a, a business enterprise, It could be any number of other uh, worthy activities. It is uh, one of those places that I would compare to a dating service. (laughs) I know that may sound a little crazy, but I am a successful user of dating services. My wife, Nancy, and I met through one six years ago, and we are doing just great. So 
what we are all about is putting the investor up on our website, along with uh, key persons who can help us assess different projects. And then we put up information about persons who are looking for money and who have uh, all the necessary credentials to back up what it is they request. And then we have the persons such as Doug, who are experts that we call on to help uh, everybody come to agreements and put together necessary uh, business arrangements. Now, Doug is the president and founder of Regulation D Resources. He founded it along with four partners in 1999 with the purpose of providing Regulation D exempt offering advisory services to corporate clients. Regulation D Resources services the Fortune 500 level clients as well as smaller startup and developmental stage companies. Now, the company Reg Regulation D Resources is specially focused on the real estate, energy, and technology sectors. Doug, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Doug, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of your relevant experience and uh, you know, how did you ever get into doing the business? Absolutely. Um, well, uh, when I graduated from college, uh, I uh, uh, decided that I wanted to follow the entrepreneurial route. And uh, it was at that point that I went out and started a uh, commercial mortgage brokerage and uh, built up a portfolio of deals. And at that point, ended up then uh, merging that company into a company that was executing Regulation D private placements at the time. And that's really how I got my start in Regulation D offerings and the uh, kind of the inner workings of uh, the securities code. Okay. Please tell us what Regulation D stands for. It sounds mysterious. Sure. Regulation D is an exemption that was created by the Securities and Exchange Commission back in 1982. Uh, and essentially what it provides is it provides an exemption from having to do a fully registered securities offering. And really the goal for the program was to create a streamlined pathway for mainly private companies, although public companies can use it, but it was mainly intended for private companies uh, that wanted to go out, raise capital from investors, engage in security sales like common stock or promissory notes, and provide them a more efficient pathway to do it than forcing them to go through the you know, fully registered route, which was expensive and, and uh, laden with a lot of uh, compliance uh, burdens to get the, the offering to the point where it was ready for execution. Now, is this something that everybody in business should get into? Do they need it? Um, if you're going to go out and raise capital from investors, you're going to need a securities offering. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would file under Regulation D. There are some other programs available, uh, but Regulation D tends to be the most straightforward program to execute under. Uh, and, you know, each year I think there's, I mean, it varies, but I would say anywhere from, you know, 1.4 to 1.8 trillion in capital is raised under the program uh, each year. And um, so, yeah, so I think really the litmus test there is if you're going to go out and solicit investors to invest in your company, whether it's on an equity basis or whether it's a debt basis, you're probably going to need a securities offering. And Regulation D then is going to be your most straightforward path to execute that securities offering and stay in compliance with state and federal rules. Okay. So how do people learn about this? Uh, if they're brand new into this uh, field, uh, how do they find somebody such as yourself? Um, well, you know, a lot of times uh, we get referrals in from business attorneys, CPAs. Uh, a lot of times the entrepreneur themselves, they're aware of uh, Regulation D securities offerings. They may have invested in one before, uh, or they're maybe just in doing their research on how to raise capital. Uh, they end up running into, uh, you know, the existence of the program. Uh, I think the 
you know, the, the key thing to understand is when, when an entrepreneur goes out to raise capital, uh, you know, typically what they're going to see is that, you know, you need to put a business plan in place and then, you know, you pitch that business plan to investors. And unfortunately, it's really missing a key key part there, and that is the securities offering. I mean, it's important to have a, a, a business plan. It's important to obviously have information about the business and its forward operations. Uh, but in order to actually accommodate the investment process, you need to have a securities offering in place and obviously then make sure that offering is going to comply with state and federal rules. So there's a number of ways that people end up finding out about the program, uh, but a, a big part of what we do is educational in nature. A uh, perfect example is this interview, uh, you know, being able to get out and educate people on the fact that not only do these programs exist, but it's in your best interest to use them so that you avoid having any kind of compliance issues down the road. Well, that makes sense to me. I know the first time I went out to raise money was in uh, 1975 when my wife and I started a uh, company in Palo Alto, California. And uh, we did not know about such things at that time. I did engage a, uh, an attorney, but he never mentioned it. <laughs> and uh, it was funny. I, I kind of stumbled into it uh, along the way. And finally, I started asking the right questions, and I found out what I needed to know. But, you know, it, it's funny, but oftentimes when entrepreneurs get together about, uh, gee, I'd like to start this kind of a company or that company, the subject of Regulation D hardly ever comes up. They talk about business plans. They talk about where to raise money. But in my experience, oftentimes, that may be the last subject they think of. Is that the way you've discovered it, too? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, we have a, a lot of uh, uh, people that engage our firm that have actually been out trying to raise money with a business plan and uh, typically end up frustrated. And I think that the dynamic that you've got to – You've got a, a, a study there is that the business plan is only going to provide certain things. It's going to provide information about the company and what have you, but it's not actually going to provide a mechanism and a structure to accommodate individual investments. So if you're seeking $3 million for your, you know, your startup software company, um, you know, unless you've got a securities offering in place, it's going to be very hard for the orthodontist down the street that's got $50,000 that he could potentially invest it's almost impossible for him uh, to accomplish that investment, and, and, and nor would it even be apparent to him. You know, he's going to read the business plan, he's going to see you're looking for $3 million, and he's going to say, well, gee, I've got maybe fifty grand I could put into that, and I, I really can't help this person because I don't have a $3 million check I can cut. So a lot of times people, uh, they head out, they start promoting the business plan, they get frustrated, and then the next thing you know, they, you know, a lot of times they do a little bit more research and then find out about securities offerings, find out about Reg D, and then that's when they end up at our doorstep. Well, that's a good description. Thank you. Now, I've heard the term PPM. What does it stand for? Private Placement Memorandum, and that is the disclosure document that is utilized in a Regulation D exempt offering, and that document is there to disclose all of the pertinent details and facts to the investor regarding the company, the management team, forward operations, the company's history, financials. So it's the, uh, it's the, the disclosure document that uh, the company would use with prospective investors to make sure they get full disclosure. And is that something that your company would provide? It is. Uh, we draft the, uh, the private placement uh, memorandum documentation for our clients. Okay. And if they were going to want to engage you for that, let's jump in and find out what your website address would be so that people could go find you. Absolutely. So the company name is Regulation D Resources, and our, our URL is www.regdresources.com. And they can also use www.goregd.com, and both of those will lead right to our corporate site. Okay, excellent. All right, so if a company determines that they need a PPM, uh, how would you do it different than other companies that might provide the same kind of service? What's unique about your offering? Sure. So... Um, as far as the development of the offering document, I like to look at it from two standpoints. The 
presentation aspect of the document. How is the information being presented? How is it formatted? Uh, and then the second side is really the technical side as far as uh, technically are we disclosing everything factually that needs to be disclosed to protect the company and protect the investor. So um, on the first side, uh, the presentation side, uh, that is something that really sets us apart from other firms. Uh, pretty much everybody else in the industry, they're going to do a templated text Word document for the PPM. Uh, we really create something that's completely different. We create a very high-end piece uh, for the client. It has a graphical and branding component to it. Uh, and um, it also has a, a front section that we build in prior to actually getting into the, the PPM that's there to engage the investor prospects uh, and, and provide them with some summarized details on the company. Um, and then from a technical standpoint, we draft our documents using the Form 1A standard. And Form 1A is a Securities and Exchange Commission standard that they use in Regulation A and other registered-type offerings. So it's a, an uprated disclosure standard. Uh, we use that standard and follow that model because it protects our clients better. It also tends to be the disclosure standard that broker-dealers require, and that is a benefit of putting the offering in place as it does then open up the securities professional community to you as potential resource for accessing retail investors. Okay, that sounds good. Now, if somebody wanted to uh, engage your company, how long would it take to uh, create the PPM and uh, all the related documents? Sure. A lot of that is really dependent on the client. Um, you know, as far as the process to have the client ready to execute security sales, you know, internally we're looking at, A, onboarding the client, B, working through a lot of the initial structuring, um, C, drafting the offering documents, and then really positioning the client so they're ready to go out and start uh, executing sales. And at that point, then, the, the federal filing, uh, we would go ahead and take the client through getting that in place. So a lot of it is dependent on the client as far as how uh, responsive they are in getting us information, but also the complexity of the deal. Um, it could be as short as three weeks if it's just a very simple single asset real estate deal where they're raising money to just purchase a, a you know a multifamily property it could be six weeks or longer if it's a deal that's more complex or if the client isn't really in necessarily in a rush to get us information and you know we're getting information over a period of a couple weeks uh through the process i had visualization of um, somebody pulling teeth <laughs> you know sometimes it's difficult to get information out of people who have never been asked to do it before. Do you ever run into that? Uh, it is a, a challenge of the business, uh, and actually we train uh, our staff and underwriters uh, in the, the, you know, the, the process of, of getting the proper information from the client. Um, we actually have a lot of stock content in place too. So for example, if someone's gonna come through and do a real estate fund, we actually have a lot of stock content we can provide that will put them uh, you know, 60%, 70% of the way home to having finalized content. But that is a big part of putting a proper PPM in place is what information is needed. You know, are there related party-owned companies that are providing services to the company that's actually raising capital where we need to disclose that? Um, so, again, you kind of go back to the technical and, the, and the, you know, the narrative side. Technically, there are certain things that just need to be disclosed to make sure that investors understand the company's operations and that full disclosure is being made. But you also have to look at it from the standpoint of, uh, are you telling the story of the company in that disclosure as well? Is the orthodontist down the street reading this document, is he going to understand your company's business and your operations and understand the opportunity? So at our company, we really, really view the development of the PPM through those two different lenses. Uh, have we developed it so it's telling the story properly and is really providing a, a, a solid indication of the opportunity? Uh, and then obviously B, which is just the, the factual technical disclosure, making sure that everything that needs to be disclosed on a factual basis is being disclosed. Okay. So let's say that uh, I wanted to engage you to do this for my company. And how would I commit to something like that? Is there down payment required, uh, contract payments? Um, is it all paid in full? What is, what is fairly, something very typical in terms of a project uh, you might take on? 
Sure. So uh, we actually have two sides to our business. We have our offering preparation and execution service. That is our core business. That's what we've been doing since 1999. That's all the structuring work, document drafting, taking the client through their filings at the state and federal level, providing them access to our broker-dealer assets, and then providing them full compliance support through full execution of the offering. Um, that service is a flat fee. It's $7,000. It's paid 3500 to engage us. And then the balance of 3500 is due 30 days net from that date. So they'll pay half. We get started on preparing the offering. Uh, and then from there, the second payment would be due uh, 30 days hence. And then the second side of our business is our web portal application. We actually have our own software application that uh, tracks and manages all of the subscription processes. So it takes people through all the prospect activities as far as evaluating the offering, accessing the PPM documents, uh, accessing critical information. Uh, there's then an invest feature, so it'll take them through the actual investment process, take them through executing all the subscription documents, if it's a 506C-based offering, it'll take them through their verification. There's also an investor relations hub in the back end, and then there's an admin side that actually has uh, features that allow the client to manage the entire offering. Um, so for that software, if the client wants to use that software to manage all the processes, uh, that's a $3,500 build fee, and that's the front-end website build and then the back-end software build, and that is a discounted rate for our clients. So if you've come through and done offering preparation with us, you actually get a discount on that build fee. Uh, and that's paid 2000 as a build deposit, and then uh, the balance is due 60 days net or when the portal launches, whichever comes first. Uh, and then from there, the ongoing fee on that's just $30 a month, and that's covering your hosting and uh, software to run that portal on our servers each month. Well, that sounds like uh, quite an interesting deal. Uh, and I'm pleased to hear that you uh, will do the hosting because that oftentimes is a, a dilemma for people. And uh, further, you know, one of the first questions that a person wants to ask is, well, how do I distribute this? You know, how do I reach out to people who might be potential investors? Uh, do sure. you provide some of that service too? Yeah, and, you know, speaking to that, um, you know, that's where the 506C exemption uh, created such a, a huge advantage for people using this program, uh, uh, because prior to the 506C program launching, which it was came in under the JOBS Act, and it was about a year and a half later, the SEC launched it. So it's been around for about five years, maybe a little longer. Um, that program allows you to generally advertise and generally solicit the offering out to the public. Uh, it would be only accredited investors that participate, but that tends to be what most people want anyways as far as their investor base. So when, you're, when we have a client and they are uh, evaluating the various programs that Regulation D provides, because there are three programs, three exemptions under the master umbrella, uh, a big you know, a big decision item that they have is, do I want to be able to generally advertise and solicit people and do social media promotion and press releases? Or am I going to do a traditional private placement like a 506B or a 504 where I'm not allowed to do any open solicitation? Uh, and in fact, best practice would be that you have a pre-existing relationship with whoever invests. So uh, as far as the capital access channels that we have, uh, we have a broker-dealer asset base we've built up over the years, uh, FINRA uh, broker-dealers that sell private placements. But if the client is also doing a 506C, now it enables us to also share with them the tactics and methodologies that we've seen other clients use to go out and get maximum exposure for their offering and raise money. Mm, okay, good. Now, you've been tossing around a lot of numbers, and probably there are some of the listeners who are wondering, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> is there a source that you provide where they can go find out what all of these numbers mean? Sure. So um, I would recommend, I mean, on our website, we actually have a section on our website regarding the Reg D programs. And again, you know, we really approach this from an educational standpoint <clears throat> as far as our the, the front end of our business, uh, just because it does take some education a lot of times. People approach us. 
They've never heard of Reg D before. They've, you know, it's been recommended to them by their attorney or CPA, but they have no experience in it. They have no idea, uh, you know, what even constitutes a Reg D offering or the options. So our website does have information on the programs that are available and the differences between the programs. Um, there's also the SEC's website. Uh, they have a small business section, and that also can discuss the options uh, that are available to a company under the Regulation D program. Okay, sounds good. Now, if I'm a small business operator, do I need to go secure a securities attorney to help me do this? Or can I engage with you directly and uh, be assured that I'll be safe and go through the process without any undue risk? Yeah, where we really recommend counsel is uh, a good business attorney that can make modifications to bylaws or create employment agreements or uh, maybe make modifications to an LLC operating agreement. Uh, the work that we do is compliant. We've got an unblemished compliance track record over 20 years. So uh, there really isn't a need for someone to engage securities counsel. In general, they do need to obviously uh, bring on board professionals that have experience in doing this. Um, and I think as far as legal counsel goes, um, there are a lot of times decisions and structure and things that get, that, that get uh, developed in the preparation of the offering that are going to impact constitution documents, your bylaws or your operating agreements. So I think that's where it's helpful to have a good business attorney on board that can make those changes. The other thing that we've seen too is just corporate cleanup things, um, like employment agreements. You know, if you've got a, a CEO and a vice president and they've started a corporation and now they're going to go out and raise capital, they may not have had formal employment agreements before between themselves and the company, but now that you're going to go out and raise money and bring on board outside shareholders, you really want to start cleaning some of that stuff internally up, and, that, and that's where uh, having a corporate attorney maybe draft some employment agreements uh, would be beneficial. Yes, I, I would agree with you. Uh, Doug, what's to somebody who's going to raise money for the first time, what are the relative advantages or disadvantages of uh, debt versus equity? What, what would you say about that? Sure. So the rule of thumb that I like to use, and it is just a general rule of thumb, but I think it uh, it helps people understand better the differences, is if you're looking to sell the upside of the business, you're probably going to need a pathway to common equity, meaning we've got our software company, and in year five, we're planning on having $42 million in revenue, and we're going to have a valuation that's, you know, $410 million. You're selling the upside of the company with that story. So in that regard, you're probably going to need a pathway to common equity because common equity is really where people are going to benefit from the accretive value that's getting built into the business. Where I think debt works well is if you have, for example, an existing business that's stable, seasoned, it's been operating for 20 years, and maybe they just want to uh, raise a little bit of working capital, but they really don't want to go into their local bank to do it. They'd rather just raise it for some private investors. And so they issue some promissory notes to investors to raise some capital. Um, the problem with just straight notes is, you know, they're not participating in the upside of the business. So I've got a note from the company. Uh, I've got a debt instrument in place. I'm getting paid, you know, 8% annualized. Then there's a two-year maturity. So at the end of two years, I get my principal back, but I'm not benefiting from any of the accretive value or the success of the company. I'm just getting that, that set interest rate. So that tends to be the rule of thumb I like to use is if, if you know, if, you're, if the pitch is you're selling the upside of the company, you're probably going to need to have some type of pathway to common equity to allow those investors to benefit from that. That's a good explanation. Uh, that's probably the best one I've heard in quite some time. What, uh, what would you say to someone who says, well, I think I need some money, but I'm not sure how much I should go for? How do you deal with that kind of a question? Sure. Well, one of the things that I, I uh, one of the things that we review actually in the first phase of our process with clients is a data point called the minimum offering amount. A lot of people have a handle on the maximum they want to raise, um, but there's also usually tends to be a minimum offering amount built into these deals. Uh, as far as addressing the maximum, 
typically what I tell people is, I mean, it, it obviously does come down to on a case-by-case basis, but that maximum offering amount that you're going to raise is obviously going to fund certain objectives. Um, and, and a lot of it just comes down to how many objectives and what's the time frame. Because a mistake that I see people make is they will they'll want to go out and raise you know, $4 million in their initial round. But when you look at their use of proceeds and you look at the timing on use of proceeds, they're not actually using a lot of that capital until you know month 18 or month 24. Well, there's no reason to raise that capital in the first round. The first round is your most expensive round. You've got the lowest valuation. You're going to have the most unattractive uh, terms, at least as far as the valuation goes, uh, and, and unattractive to management. You know, so so as far as that goes, you want to limit your exposure to the higher cost capital. And in that regard, a lot of times companies will come out with an offering amount that funds certain objectives over maybe a shorter period of time, maybe you know, 10 to 12 months. And then once they've deployed that capital, move the company forward, now they can go out and do a secondary round at a higher valuation and a higher share price to raise the additional capital that they need. So that is, you know, that might be helpful advice for listeners is, uh, is kind of analyzing how much capital would they need and then also understanding that, uh, you know, you can break these into rounds and it actually can be beneficial. The minimum offering amount, really is triggered just when you reach a minimum level that you can uh, fund the achievement of at least one objective. And that's really there just to protect investors. That way, if they invest in the offering, uh, they know you're not going to utilize those funds until you've reached that minimum. And if you reach the minimum, obviously, you've got enough in hand to at least accomplish a key objective. Okay, that sounds good. Now, I've heard the term blue sky. What does that mean? So that is really uh, that that relates to the state filings and state interaction, and um, this kind of drives back then to the three, you know, analyze looking at the three programs that are available under Regulation D because two of them actually have a federal preemption benefit. The third one actually is subject to state level rules. So the 504 program, which is an older you know, a Reg D program. It's been around for a long time. The 504 program caps at $5 million in a 12-month period of time. Uh, it is a program that is fairly frequently used, um, but it is subject to state-level rules. So you file under 504 for your Fed cover, but as you have sales, you have to comply with whatever the state rules are in the state of residency of the investor. Uh, the 506 programs, and there's two of them, 506B and C, have a federal preemption benefit, and that's a benefit that got built in uh, to those programs in the National Securities Markets Improvement Act of 90, I think it was 7. Uh, so that, that's a benefit that's been in place for a long time. But basically what that benefit is, is when you sell through the 506 programs, the federal rules supersede the state rules. And so your interaction, if you want to call it the blue sky interaction, then is really just notification. You're just notifying the state regulator's office that you've got a Reg D 506 in place and you've had some sales to uh, residents of their state. So the 506 programs have some efficiency there because they're not subject to state level rules. You're just doing notification at the state level as you have sales. Okay. You know, we hear a lot about IPOs. How does that relate to what you do with uh, your advisory advice? Uh, you know, an IPO really is a private company uh, that is now going to, you know, offer its shares publicly and, and essentially become then publicly traded. Uh, how it relates to a Reg D would really be that a lot of the processes are similar. Uh, you're not a public company at the end of the process of going through a Reg D offering, but you have followed some of the processes that are um, uh, that are inherent in an IPO, uh, structuring uh, the offering and, and sale of shares, um, uh, has setting evaluation, development of disclosure documents, uh, obviously. Uh, you know, the sale of the securities out to the investors. So there's some similarities in the processes. Uh, the big difference is with a true IPO, you're a publicly traded company at the end of the process, whereas with a Regulation D, uh, you followed some of the same processes to raise capital, but you're still privately held at the end of the process. 
Okay. Now, what if somebody comes to you and says, well, I'm considering uh, raising money by having my friends and family participate. Are there any special warnings that you might give them or advice that would make sure that they don't uh, end up blowing some really key relationships? Yes. So uh, my my advice, I usually, we, we, on this topic, I usually start off with the statement that the term friends and family is not in the SEC's lexicon, <laughs> meaning... Meaning, if it's your cousin or your brother, uh, that doesn't matter to the SEC. Um, and I think the litmus test that I like to use, and again, I like to keep things fairly simple for people that are you know new to these programs. Um, you know, John, if you and I decide to open a coffee shop, and we both uh, you know we both go scout the location together, uh, we both um, uh, you know build out the business plan together. We both put $50,000 into an LLC together to fund the, you know, the build out. Uh, there's no securities offering needed for our $50,000 investments because we're both founders. We're both intrinsic to the development of the business. Uh, and it's really uh, a, a founders type capital uh, situation. The moment I go to uh, my college buddy that likes to invest in deals, or you go to a business associate, associate of yours, and or even your cousin or your brother, and say, hey, would you like to invest? Now we're kind of stepping outside of that founder circle, and now we're actually soliciting people to come in as uh, essentially a third-party investor. And really, that's now where you're stepping into needing the securities offering, because they're not founders. They weren't intrinsic to the development of the business. They have not had a chance to go scout out the site for the coffee shop. Uh, and so now that, that really is then going to put that company in a position where they're going to need to do an offering. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense because with the number of businesses that are launched every year, uh, <laughs> if we were to think about it, it's uh, quite an amazing number. Um, there wouldn't be enough of you to uh, take care of everybody coming to you. Well, yeah, and look, it's probably a little bit like speeding on the highway. Uh, I know there's a lot of companies that initially capitalize with friends and family money and they don't technically go do an offering. Um, Ideally, they should. I, I think the other dynamic that I uh, try and get people to look at is if you're raising money from friends and family, you really want to make sure you're doing things properly. Because if the business fails, if they lose money, um, you know, that's going to make for, uh, you know, some uh, uncomfortable moments at the, uh, the Thanksgiving dinner table anyways. Uh, you know, but, but as long as you've done things properly and you did everything according to proper protocols and did an offering, you've at least done everything properly from that standpoint. And that's, that's something I like to stress is if you are dealing with people that you have relationships, friends and family, you almost want to go overboard as far as making sure that everything is pin perfect on the compliance side. Yeah, that's a good uh, way to look at it. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that people read about in the newspapers and magazines and websites and so on is that Roughly 90% of all new companies fail within the first five years. In your experience, is that a real number? And what is the most likely reason for a failure? Is it money or something else? That's a good question. Uh, you know, it, it's hard for me to really uh, gauge uh, the accuracy of that number. Um, I, I can't say it would necessarily surprise me. I think, you know, when I see businesses fail, usually there's a common thread there. Um, and, 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 and there, you know, it, it, I would say that uh, uh, looking at kind of your top, you know, top main issues that companies have, number one would be that they did not have enough capital to sustain themselves to get the business to the point where it was revenue generating. Uh, I think part of the other issues that companies uh, face and, and then and, and ultimately fail is that they don't really have a solid plan for expansion. They may have a good idea. They may have, you know, fostered that idea to the point where they want to launch a business around it, uh, but they really haven't thought through how they're going to market their business or service uh, and get it past that that phase. Because the first year or two of a business is a critical you know, a critical juncture. Um, you need to get revenues up to the point where you can cover expenses, and uh, it, it just tends to be a, uh, 
uh, a high-risk time period. And again, that's where being able to raise some outside capital and have a healthy balance sheet is at least going to give you a, a war chest of capital you can go to if things aren't going as planned uh, in terms of the uh, the growth of the business. Yes, I would agree. Uh, back in my earlier days, I participated in the founding of a company that uh, grew rather rapidly. We went from uh, six of us sitting around a table staring at one another saying, what do we do first? To where we had 1,300 employees inside of two and a half years. And uh, at that time, uh, we were pulling in more than $55 million in sales. The problem was we didn't have enough capital. And we ran out of uh, operating cash, and that necessitated uh, bringing in a partner who then proceeded over the next 12 months to gobble us up, spit us out. It was, that was a rather difficult experience to go through, but the one that taught me a lot about making sure that there is plenty of money when you need it for your operations. Yeah, definitely. I think um, uh, being undercapitalized, and, you know, you know that, that actually goes back to the equity and debt uh, comparison. And that, that's a, another reason why I encourage early stage companies, if they can, to raise equity, because it's going to be cash on your balance sheet. You're not going to have a default risk, because that's something else that sometimes happens is companies will issue promissory notes. They'll do, you know, a 24-month note to investors to, you know, to provide them some, uh, a Series A capital. Uh, the problem is then the business doesn't grow as intended, and now they're bumping up against that 24-month maturity date, and they've got you know, several million that they've now got to pay back to investors under this note, and they don't have the capital to do that. And now they're stuck in a, you know, they're stuck in a tough position at that point. They're getting ready to default on notes, whereas if they had capitalized initially with equity, they'd have cash on their balance sheet and they'd be in a better situation. Well, I wish I'd known you a few years ago. <laughs> That's, it would have saved a lot of headache along the way. Now, as we're coming up uh, near the end of our broadcast time here, uh, what would you give us a general summary, Doug, that uh, would give people the kind of guidance that they need to consider whether or not they want to go through the Regulation D process? What would you tell them? Let's just say we're sitting around our living room having a conversation about this. And you weren't necessarily in a selling mode. What would you say to them anyway? Sure. Well, uh, what I would say to them is first identify where you want to raise capital from. Uh, that's going to drive whether you need a securities offering or not. And there are companies that benefit from venture capital. They benefit from the connections that the venture capital firm has, uh, the relationships that the VC firm has. Granted, it's expensive money but it also brings with it a lot of benefits. And a lot of times those are benefits that that company truly needs to, to grow and, and, and maximize its potential. Uh, a lot of companies obviously are not interested in venture capital, don't need the venture capital advantages. They're just looking for uh, invested you know, cash uh, uh, to move the business forward. And in that case, then, if they're looking at going out and raising money from investors, that's where they're going to need the securities offering and then that's where, when they start evaluating the available programs, Regulation D is is going to be really the most straightforward option to execute that securities offering and stay compliant. And then I, I think the other thing that I encourage people to look at is look beyond just doing a business plan and look at what's required to actually go out and execute an investment transaction with an individual. If you've got, again, the, you know, the theoretical orthodontist down the street and he wants to put $50,000 into your business, what's required to do that? Uh, I think as you encourage people to start looking into the dynamics of, of, of that, it leads them automatically into a securities offering and PPM documents and subscription documents and really puts them then on the right path for, for doing things properly from that point forward. Okay, great. Doug, one more opportunity here to give your websites before we sign off with you. Would you please tell our listeners what they are? Absolutely. So uh, the corporate site is located at www.regdresources.com, and that's R-E-G-D 
www.goresources.com. And then a shortened version that goes to the same corporate site is www.goregd.com. Well, thank you very much, Doug. Uh, you've given it some excellent advice. And as I say, I wish I'd met you years ago. It would have made my struggles and uh, my wins more frequently. And, you know, I'm hoping that uh, people really do consider what you've said today, because this is a an, an area where a lot of people wring their hands and they sweat it out, and they're really not sure what to do. So I thank you very much for your wise counsel about this. And uh, let me uh, get ready to uh, sign off for the, this particular uh, meeting today by reminding you that uh, you are listening to this on uh, radio station KCAA. And this is a station that leaves no listener behind. And uh, Rose and I don't either. So we will follow up with you anytime you contact us and inquire about uh, potential investors or projects that we are aware of. Uh, we'll take good care of you to make sure that uh, you're not left behind and that we have resources that you can uh, pull as necessary for whatever your project. So next week, uh, Rose will be on the air by herself and I will be sunning myself over in Jamaica and a ver variety of other places. And then I'll look forward to rejoining Rose uh, the following week uh, for our next broadcast. So thank you very much for tuning in today. And we thank you for uh, telling other persons about us so that we can build up our listener base. We have important information that we want to share with everybody who is in the business community. Thank you very much for listening. This is John Tabor. Cheers. You've been listening to the Capital Raising Club with Rose Vitale. Join us each week on NBC Radio right here at this time. I'm here to help make sense out of business, investments, and capital raising. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at Capital Raising Club. You can watch our previous episodes and sign up for our newsletter at our website at CapitalRaisingClub.com. Join us each week on NBC Radio right here at this time on The Legacy, 1050 AM. Talk 102.3 FM and Express 106.5 FM. And now on Alexa, get me KCAA. News, weather, and talk on KCAA 102.3 FM. Broadcasting to the Moreno Valley, Corona, and Riverside. If you're looking for a full or part-time sales position and you have radio, TV, or print media experience, KCAA has a great opportunity waiting for you that pays the highest commissions in the market. KCAA is the only station in the IE that broadcasts on three frequencies, so advertisers receive three ads for one low rate. This makes KCAA a must-buy for every local business. If you're interested in a sales position with us, email CEO at KCAARadio.com. California Headline News, sentencing for David and Louise Turpin, the Riverside County couple accused of imprisoning and torturing their 13 children. I'm sorry for everything I've done to hurt my children. I love my children so much. I'm blessed to be the mother of each one of them. David Turpin also reading a statement claiming his intentions were good. Two of their children reading emotional statements as well before a judge sentenced them to 25 years to life. Congressman Devin Nunez not impressed with the content of the Mueller report. What I call the Mueller dossier. Uh, because for the most part, as we predicted, it's not worth anything. You would have gotten more from reading the House Republican report from 13 months ago. Nunez making it clear he plans to continue his campaign against officials within the Justice Department and the FBI, who he claims committed criminal acts within the context of the Russia investigation. Music lovers back in Indio for weekend two of the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. Jeff Scott, California News. 
Don't miss the Planes of Fame Air Show May 4th and 5th at Chino Airport. Fun for the whole family. Enjoy watching aviation history take to the skies over Chino. See famous planes and demonstration teams like the F-16 Piper Demo and Heritage Flight, Sanders Sea Fury, the Tumbling Bear, and Eric Tucker. Over 50 historic aircraft will be performing for your enjoyment, including the P-47 Thunderbolts and P-51 Mustangs. There'll be military vehicles, a veteran panel, kids zone, and a vendor marketplace where you'll find plenty of food and beverages. Gates open Saturday and Sunday at 8 a.m. Parking is free. Tickets, $25. Kids 11 and under are free. Spend the day at the Plains of Fame Air Show Saturday and Sunday, May 4th and 5th in Chino. For tickets and info, go to planesoffame.org. That's planesoffame.org. PlanesOfFame.org. NBC News Radio. I'm Tom Roberts. House Democrats are demanding access to the full Mueller report. The Judiciary Committee has sent a subpoena to the Justice Department, and MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kirshner believes eventually the panel will get its wish. I think one way or another the clamor is too loud and the people's thirst for information is too strong. Congress is going to get to see everything unredacted. Much of the East Coast is bracing for damaging winds, heavy rain, hail, and possible tornadoes. Forecasters say the risk of severe weather extends from Florida to Pennsylvania and New Jersey through tonight. Officials say the 10-year-old South Carolina girl who died after a fight at an elementary school had a pre-existing medical condition. The 14th Circuit solicitor said today an autopsy on Renaya Wright revealed there was no trauma from the fight. The Southern California parents accused of running a house of horrors for their kids are being handed a life sentence today. David and Louise Turpin both pleaded guilty in February to numerous felony charges. Tom Roberts, NBC News Radio. Talk 102.3 FM Riverside. Thank you, America, for making us radio's number one for number one number one format for eight years. Talk 102.3 FM Riverside. KCAA, the station that leaves no listener behind. Attention all business owners. Join C's Candies, Big Lots, Dollar Tree, and Sola Salon Studios at the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands. Availability is now open for your company, whether that be restaurants, retail, or more. Located between Alabama and the Tennessee exits where the 10 and the 210 meet in Redlands. The Tri-City Shopping Center is zoned for multi-use. Call today and schedule your appointment. Ask for Chris Beauchamp or John Jennings. 951-684-4400. That number again, 951-684-4400. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands, the mall with a heart. From the KCAA Weather Center, I'm Rich Summers. For this afternoon, sunny with a high near 89, gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Patchy fog late tonight, otherwise mostly clear with a low of 54. Patchy fog again tomorrow morning, otherwise mostly sunny with a high of 72. Gusts up to 20 miles per hour. And Sunday, mostly cloudy, gradually becoming sunny with a high near 67. I'm Rich Summers, broadcasting live from the Tri-City Center at the 10 and 210 freeways. We are the trifecta of talk in Southern California. KCAA, 102.3 FM Riverside, 106.5 FM Redlands, and the Legacy, 1050 AM, Loma Linda, San Bernardino. Looking for a new place to eat? Delicious food at a great value? The Tri-City Center in Redlands is proud to announce the grand opening of a fine new dining establishment. Terry's Diner, at the former location of the Spunky Steer in Redlands, is officially open for business daily from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. with delicious mouth-watering breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Treat yourself to Terry's tasty dessert menu, such as Terry's famous sundaes, banana splits, hot fudge cake, old-fashioned root beer floats, frosties, cakes and pies too. You'll find weekly lunch and dinner specials all under $10, including Angus steaks, burgers, Greek salads, pasta seafoods with wine and beer. Terry's brings years of tasty temptations from DJs in San Bernardino and Altaloma. Join a new tradition in Redlands. Stop by at 1350 Industrial Park Avenue between Tennessee and Alabama in the Tri-City Center. Google Terry's Diner Redlands on Yelp or find them terrysdinerredlands.com. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.
it's time for Culture Shocks with your host, Barry Lynn. Welcome to today's edition of Culture Shocks. Leah Bonima is my first guest. Uh, I did stand-up with her once about a year ago at a New York comedy club. I have done stand-up exactly five times. Leah has probably done stand-up five times in one day. (laughs) So, Leah... Welcome to Culture Shocks. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, what's the funniest thing you saw so far today? You know, I haven't left my apartment, and I guess I'm going to go, you know, these are all very private. Uh, My boyfriend wakes up uh, very funny. (laughs) He always, like, sings a little song, and his church is always hanging out when he wakes up. Because his pants work their way down. I don't know. Is that inappropriate? I don't know. No, I don't think it's inappropriate. And I, but it's funny. It's uh, delightful. It's like a yeah. delightful way to wake up. Absolutely. Well, it's, it makes it's, me laugh. That's great. You know, the funniest thing I saw this morning. I got up, uh, in spite of having a, a rather high fever at the moment. I woke up desperately to watch the Bill Barr as Attorney General summary of the yet unreleased Mueller report 